thankful that you are here. If you're joining us online, we're thankful that you're with us this morning as well. Um, as we begin our sermon time this morning, I want to just say a quick word about uh, Easter Sunday next week and this week that we, are, we have coming up. We ha- there are a number of opportunities in the case you haven't read a bulletin or seen a, a church email, a number of opportunities for you to connect with God and with others this week. Uh, and I just want to highlight those really quickly. Wednesday night is the first opportunity. Uh, we are hosting our Passover Seder meal. We have uh, over 100 people registered currently, and you can still do that and let us know you're coming, and you can email that email address. It's up there on the screen, and let us know that you're going to be here. You will want to eat an actual meal before you come. Uh, this is largely symbolic. There are some things to eat if you didn't participate in this a few years ago. Um, it won't fill you up, but you, so you'll might, you might want to eat something before or after or just plan on that. Then uh, after, this, after this event on Wednesday night, on Friday night, we're going to have a new event, a Good Friday service, a Good Friday worship time, uh, and we're going to gather here to lead our, lead. really this is kind of designed to think about Jesus' last meal with his disciples, and then on Good Friday we're going to have a time here where we'll spend some time thinking about uh, the crucifixion specifically and the events around the crucifixion, and so uh, there's going to be, it'll be a little different kind of service, similar to our Christmas Eve service. It'll be about an hour, 6.30, 7.30. We'd love to have you join us for that. And all of that will lead toward Easter Sunday. Uh, and I challenged you last week, I want to challenge you again to be thinking about who you might invite to join us next Sunday. Uh, maybe it's someone that you know in your life that is in need of encouragement right now. Uh, someone in your circle of relationships, maybe somebody that specifically is struggling, a neighbor, a friend someone from one of your kids' ball teams, whatever it may be. It's going to be a great day, and we want as many people to be here as possible to hear and to think about and to be sort of, you know, in the presence of the the gathering that will happen, also to think about and focus on the resurrection. And so I'm going to be starting a new sermon series and would love for you to invite somebody to be your guest next week. So lots of opportunities uh, this coming week, all designed to prepare our hearts for Easter and celebrating the resurrection together. So just a quick word about that. But today, we come to the end of our study in the book of 1 Peter. Uh, My hope is that this series has been meaningful for you. I know it has been for me. 1 Peter actually came out of my Bible. I was looking at those pages so many times. So I don't know what I'm going to do about that. I'm not going to take it out, but I might have to figure that out uh, after this series is over. Uh, Over the last nine weeks, though, we have discussed some really hard things. Uh, we've talked about some, some important things. We've talked about our identity as Christians, our citizenship as followers of Jesus, that we belong to a different kingdom. And this idea that you've heard me mention a number of times that we live here, but we aren't from here, which means that you do things and you say things, you live in a way that doesn't always line up uh, with the world that we live in. And that that makes us feel different, that we should be different. We should stand out. And so my hope is that as we've studied all the different things that we've studied, as we've listened to our brother Peter share from his own experiences of walking with Jesus, that something in your heart has been stirred up as you've considered your own journey with Christ, that maybe you have a renewed focus in your pursuit of living a strange life, a different life here on earth with whatever time you have left. As, I, as I've thought about it, like, isn't that what it's about, right? At the end of the day, isn't that what it's about? That we make the most with the days that we have. That we make the most with the days that we have. That we want this story of Jesus Christ 
to shape our lives and not just be lip service. We're not just coming here on Sundays and just singing these songs, Hosanna, you're my king. We shall assemble around the throne, but we're actually allowing the things that we do to shape our lives and to shape the world around us. And so we commit to live like Christ, to do what Christ did, to say what he said, to value what Jesus values, to align our lives with his. And so that's what this series has been about, and today we come to the end of this important letter. And we're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 5 in a moment. If you want to grab a Bible, it'll also be up here on the screens. But I want to pray for us as we begin our time in God's Word. Let's do that. Father, we come this morning, we're thankful for an opportunity to gather to remember uh, the events that unfolded several thousand years ago as Christ rode into Jerusalem, looking not looking like the king that people expected, but headed toward his coronation as king at the cross. And we ask God that you would as we spend some more time thinking about the, the significance of that event and how that event causes us to live differently, that you'll open our eyes and our ears so that we might see and hear all that you want us to see and hear from your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So it's no surprise, no secret to you that over and over and over again over the last two years, there has been a lot of talk in our world about symptoms, about symptoms. You couldn't see this virus that we were all concerned about, that we were all aware of, but you could see the symptoms. You were aware of various things that happened, and you, could, you knew, right? Someone would ask, get sick and would ask, what are your symptoms? Do you have a fever? Have you lost your taste or your smell? And of course, when it comes to a person's health, symptoms are the indication that something is going on in your body. A symptom is the sickness manifesting itself, right? That's, that's, what's, that's actually what's, what's happening, is that there's something going on in your body and that it produces this symptom so that even if you don't see the thing that got you sick, you know that something is not right. Something's out of whack. And for a long time, doctors and scientists had little idea about the role that the unseen stuff in our world plays on, on people, on, on the, the lives that we live, right? Things that can only be seen on a microso- microscopic level. And, and what, does, what are those things that can only be seen on a microscopic level? What role do they play on the seen world, the things that we can see, like people? But when the microscope was invented, it completely changed their ability to properly, properly diagnose and treat illness and disease because they could see beyond the seen world that we actually see with our eyes, and they could go to a microscopic level to be able to see things that had been previously unseen. And what we know about our bodies is that when we come to a better understanding of how things operate on an unseen level, it can have a profound influence on how we treat symptoms and ultimately whatever it is that's actually making you sick. We have better health care, better medical care today because we have a better understanding of things that are happening to the human body that happen on an unseen level. And, I wanna, and I'm talking about all that, symptoms and sickness and all of those things to get us thinking this morning about the things that we do not see. Because Peter closes this letter by talking about something that he has not mentioned 
at all up to this point in the letter. He closes his letter by talking about something he hasn't mentioned at all. He ends this letter by talking about an enemy. An enemy that operates, he says, largely in an unseen realm, an unseen space. And yet, even though we cannot see this enemy with our eyes, we are surrounded by the symptoms of the enemy's work. What he does in the unseen realm impacts what happens in the seen realm. And so I want to read together from 1 Peter 5, beginning in verse 5, the last part of verse 5. Do we have those slides on the screen? This is what he says. No, that's last week's. I'm going to read it. 1 Peter 5, beginning in verse 5, the end of verse 5. He says, All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you To his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. After everything that Peter has written in this letter, Peter concludes with these words. And you may have only been able to listen to them, so I would encourage you to go back and read them again later because I won't read them again like that during this sermon, but they are incredibly honest, they're direct, and they're incredibly practical. And at the center of what he says, he wants us to know that there is an enemy, a different kind of enemy. Did you know that every New Testament writer, this is fascinating to me, every New Testament writer mentions the devil. And Jesus himself mentions the devil 25 times in the Gospels. And Peter, of course, I think knows a thing or two about this enemy himself. You may remember a story. You might want to turn. I'm not sure if we have the slides yet. In Luke 22, Luke 22, 31 through 34, there's a story that unfolds there where Peter experiences something about this enemy. This is what it says in Luke 22, beginning in verse 31. Jesus says to Peter, he calls him by his name, his his first name, his original name, Simon. And he says, Simon, Simon, listen to this. Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But Peter replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three three times that you know me. If you know this story and how this story ends, you know that Satan did attempt to sift Peter, 
to devour Peter. But Peter doesn't give up. He, he continues to resist, and he stays connected to Jesus. And I, I can't help but imagine, don't you know that he's writing these words in 1 Peter chapter 5? He's writing here as an older man, as I've told you a few times in this series. He's reflecting. He's thinking back. And I can't help but imagine that he's writing these words about this enemy that prowls around like a roaring lion, very aware of his, of his own experiences of almost being devoured by this enemy. He's writing out of his own experiences. And the first thing that he wants us to know from 1 Peter 5 is that the devil is an enemy against your effort to live differently. And he has not talked about this at all in this letter up until, until now. And I think it's really important as we bring this study to a close that we also are aware that in your attempts to live differently, there is an enemy that will resist you at every turn. The devil will resist your efforts to change. The devil will resist your efforts to live different. The, the, the devil will resist your efforts to have different priorities, kingdom priorities, to have different values. The devil, Peter says, views you like a lion views its prey. It's a word picture, right? And you are the prey, and the devil is the lion. And the word Peter uses to describe this relationship is devour. It's what at least translated in NIV, devour. The word actually means to gulp or to swallow, to destroy, to tear apart. Right? If we want to live lives that are different, which is what this entire series has been about, the first thing that you need to know is that there is an enemy that will resist you, that will oppose you. Has any, anybody in the room ever felt like when you are at your lowest moment that things tend to get worse? Ever felt like that when you're at your lowest moment that things tend to get worse? Why is that? I know that you have. I know that we feel that, right? Why is that? I think this picture of a lion and its prey actually helps us understand why. You've all seen how it happens, right? You've watched some show on TV. You've seen some clip on social media. The lion crouches down, waits for the right moment, and then come this unsuspecting herd of antelope or other, some other kind of animal, and then it attacks and does it attack when the group, you know, when this, the prey that it's particular is focused, its eyes on, is surrounded by the group, protected by the stronger animals in the group? No. It attacks when that particular prey that it's focused on is most vulnerable and least protected. Most vulnerable and least protected. When it's away from the pack, when it's lagging behind, when it's struggling, when it's suffering, when it's feeling discouraged. And Peter says, church, this is the way that it works for you. The enemy will attack you at moments when you are most vulnerable, when you feel weak, when you are weak, when you are away from the rest of the herd. And so Peter says, hey, just know in your efforts to be different, just know in your efforts to follow Christ, God is not the only one that is interested in you. The enemy is also interested in you, but for different reasons. The enemy wants nothing good for you. The enemy is simply hungry and is looking for prey to devour. 
The enemy wants to bring destruction and suffering and pain into your life. But the good news is that Peter suggests some things that we can do as God's people. What what does he suggest? The first thing he says here in verse 8 is he says, be alert. Be alert. Be alert and of sober mind is the way the NIV translates it. The Greek word that gets translated be alert means to be clear-minded, to be sober. So he's saying the first thing that you and I can do as we live our lives for Christ, trying to live differently, trying to have different values, is to simply pay attention to the fact that there is an enemy that is looking for you. Be on the lookout for the symptoms of the devil's work in your life. Because even if you can't see him, you can always see the symptoms. This is the way it works with our bodies when we get sick, and this is the way that it works spiritually. But he also says something else in verse 9. I want to look at verse 9 again. Practical advice for how we think about our lives and attempts to live differently, aware of the fact that there is this enemy that is interested in pursuing us and devouring us. He says, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. A couple of things I want to talk about from this. First of all, you and I should never fear the enemy. Somebody other than James better say amen to that. You and I should never fear the enemy. The cross, thank you, Taylor. The cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ put the enemy on notice, church. That his time and his power and his influence are running out. And so Christians should have nothing to fear in that regard. Resist him. The word resist actually means to set yourself against him, to oppose him. So think about it, what Peter's saying. He's saying there's an enemy that's going to oppose you and going to resist you in your attempts to live differently, but you also oppose back, resist back. You're not a passive participant in this exchange, friends. You have a job to do also. You have to be proactive or you will be prey. You will be devoured is what Peter is saying. And notice he says that you can be proactive. You can oppose back in several ways. First of all, he says stand firm in the faith. I mean, that's a real Bible way of saying something. What is he saying? He's saying stay engaged with the Lord. Even when life makes you want to give up on everything else, do not let go of Jesus Christ. Hold on to Christ. When there are storms, when there are trials, when there is suffering, when there is loss, when there is pain, when there is persecution, when there is depression, when there are doubts, hold on to Christ. When your prayer doesn't get answered, hold on to Christ. When you read the Bible and it only seems to confuse you more, hold on to Christ. Stand firm in your faith. That is the way, Peter says, that you and I, that is a way that we can resist the devil's attempts to devour us. And I think the other piece, the other thing that he says is maybe equally important. You oppose the devil by standing firm and holding on to Christ, and you oppose the devil by not doing it alone. Too many of us try to resist things that happen in our lives by ourselves. And Peter says, remember that you have a family of believers 
You have this family of believers, but you don't just have the ones here. They are throughout the world as well. And the principle that I want us to take away from, that, from this idea is simply this. Living differently happens most effectively in community. The way that I want to say this is that living for Jesus is a team sport. It is not an individual sport. Living for Christ is always done with other people. You can't have Christ and not have the church. You've got to hold on to Jesus, but you have to have the church. We were not designed to be, live in isolation, right? And, he, and here's the thing. Anytime things are hard, the enemy is going to try and convince you. You know this. You've experienced. You've heard this voice in your head. Anytime things get hard, the enemy is going to try to convince you that you are alone. Right? And Stan reminded us around the table a minute ago, if, if he can't convince you that you're alone, then he'll just convince you you're not worth it. God really doesn't love you that much. Right? And which is what we do in our heads. It's just me. Nobody really understands. Right? Nobody understands what I'm going through, what I'm dealing with, my situation. And so instead of living in community when, where you can find protection, where you can find support, sometimes... We isolate ourselves from community when things are the most difficult. Why do we do that? And I think the good news for us in this is that you are never as alone as the enemy would like for you to believe in difficult times. And so be encouraged that others are walking with you in this pursuit of living different, which is good news because... It takes all of us together, holding each other up, supporting each other, encouraging one another. When someone gets discouraged, protecting each other from the enemy, when one of us is vulnerable, praying for one another every step of the way, living differently will always happen most effectively in community. At the beginning of 1 Peter 5, Peter talks about shepherds talks about elders, pastors. He, he's writing to these Christians that are vulnerable and they're scattered all over the world and they're experiencing all kinds of pressure. And I want you to listen. I'm kind of going back. I started in 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Now I want to go back and look at what Peter says at the beginning of chapter 5 in verse 1 and 2. Listen to what he says. He says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Watch over them. Right after Peter says this, he goes into all the stuff we just read about being humble, about casting your anxiety onto the Lord, about the enemy prowling around like a roaring lion and, and, I, and all of these things that, that we've just talked about. And if I'm honest with you, the words that we just read, a lot of you have read those, heard those before a lot of times when we're talking about elders, we're talking about church leadership, those kind of get pulled out of context and we talk about those few verses in 1 Peter 5. But if I'm honest with you, Peter's words about elders and, and pastors and shepherds here have always seemed sort of out of place to me because we've just studied through the book of 1 Peter. If you've been here for any number of these sermons, you know, or you've gone back to listen to them, you know that he hasn't talked about church leadership at all. It's not, like, it's not like a church manual on how to do church. So honestly, they feel 
like they don't fit with the overall theme of his, of his letter. What is that? Why is he talking about it here especially, right? Why now? It's always sort of confused me. It didn't really make sense to me until I started working on this sermon. And now, honestly, it makes a ton of sense. And here's why I think that he starts the last words in his letter talking about shepherds. And he concludes talking about this enemy that is interested in devouring us and our need for community, the family of believers. This is why I think he does it. Because Peter knows, hear me, that if you have an enemy that is looking to devour you, to swallow you, to tear you apart, you also need others looking out for you as well. And this is so important that he takes the time here at the end of his letter after he said everything that he said to address a specific group of people in all the churches that he's writing to, those people who provide spiritual care for the flock. And yes, there are people that have the actual title of shepherd, but I want to, I want to caution you. If you dismiss these words because you think, well, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not an elder. I'm not a shepherd. I'm not a pastor. Come on now. Right? This is not the only job of a, only the job of a handful of people. Paul says that he is an elder, a pastor, a shepherd, whatever word you want to use. And I believe that all of us carry some level of responsibility to care for each other, regardless of title. Title, whether you have a title, that's an, you, you can, you know, dismiss that. You can kind of excuse that. And I want to be sure that you don't do that. Because the reality is, is as we live in community with one another, we need people who will strengthen us when we are weak. Amen? We need people who will pray for us when we are sick. Amen? We need people who will bind up our wounds when we are injured, go search for us when we are lost. There are some people who still have not physically been back to this building that need some of you who are in deeper relationships with them than some others of us. They need someone to go and shepherd them and bring them back. And they're waiting. They might not be waiting. They may not even know that they need it. But you know that they need it. And you might be the best shepherd that ever has an opportunity to speak into their life. They're going to expect me to reach out to them because of my title, but they won't expect you to, right? And so we need people to go and search for us and pray for us and bind up our wounds. We need people to walk with us and challenge us. We need people to protect us when we're at our lowest and weakest moments. We need people to encourage us and resist for us this enemy that is looking to, for opportunities to devour us. And as we bring this study to a close, my encouragement, my challenge for you, for us, is this, church, that the world is in need of people who are clear about their identity as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, clear about which kingdom they belong to and which kingdom they give their allegiance to. The world needs people. They need to see people. And they go, why are they living so different? But they need new models for how to live life in this world that we live in. You live here, but you aren't from here. And as we live here, we have to know that there is an enemy that is working around every corner to resist our every effort to live for Christ. The enemy's primary focus is to make life as difficult as possible for you so that you'll get distracted 
or you'll just give up altogether. And lots of people have given up altogether. And this is why we need community, the family of believers. It's why we need shepherds, pastors. We need people to provide spiritual care so that even when the enemy prowls around, we will be able to be different. Will you stand with me this morning? It's significant to me that we're closing this series on Palm Sunday because Palm Sunday is a day when we gather to receive our Lord who is going to the cross. That's what Palm Sunday is about. It's the beginning, the marking of the beginning of this really important week that we're about to start. And so it's appropriate for us to conclude this morning thinking about our, our lives and how our lives are different because of that event on the cross when Jesus died for us. And so I want to end this morning with the words from the end of Peter's letter. It's a blessing, really, and I want to end those, this, this series with that same blessing. May the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory, even when you go through suffering, remind you that you are not alone. May he restore you and make you strong when you are weak, and may he make you steadfast in your faith. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this community. We thank you for the awareness that our enemy is there, but also that his, his abilities are limited and that we have a power that is greater than him at work in us. It is that same power that raised Christ from the dead. And we ask God this morning that as you call us to deeper places, that maybe you, maybe you bring to mind people in our lives who could, could use some spiritual care, some shepherding and encouraging Maybe some people in our lives for whom we have a unique opportunity to be spiritual caregivers for them in a way that others in this room may not be able to do. May you deepen our appreciation for community and the importance of it, that it is important and, if, and we are most effective in our walk with you when we're doing life together. And may we believe that and not just say that. May we experience real community. May we be for one another a community that extends and receives care from each other each and every day and in all kinds of ways that we think to do. We're thankful, Father, for Christ, for his life, for his death, for his resurrection, for the way that you continue to call us to places that we would not maybe go on our own. We want to be people who are different. We want to live different. We want, to, want it to be clear that we, we are not from this place, that our, we belong to a kingdom that is not of this world. And we pray that you will continue to empower us through your spirit as we seek to do that very thing. We pray in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. amen. Let's sing together this next song.